Welcome back to Repod, the University of Salford research podcast, bringing you conversations with researchers from across the university. My name is Andy Meir and I direct the science communication space, which is set up to support staff and students in developing their public facing activities. And today we have Dr. Alex Fenton joining us from Salford Business School, talking about everything digital, business, sport and much more. Enjoy. Hello, Alex. Good to see you here. Hey, Andy. Nice to see you as always. We're back for another live podcast episode. Good to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Andy. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me along. Um, and I hope you've been enjoying the weather. My goodness, it's rather hot here in the UK at the moment, isn't it? It certainly is. Yeah, I've just come upstairs to uh, get a, a slightly quieter atmosphere and I've realised it's about 40 degrees in this room. So um, <laughs> if I happen to kind of pass out or something partway through, <laughs> Well, we hope that won't happen, Alex, but it's good to have you here. You'll be our third guest on the Repod podcast, which is a podcast for the research at the University of Salford. So it's great to have you here. Tell us a bit about your role at the university, your lectureship, your role that you have is quite varied, isn't it? I'd say it is, Andy. Yeah. So I'm I'm lecturing digital business for Salford Business School, but I'm also head of the uh, disruptive tech cluster at the university as well. So, um, yeah, it's a very, very varied role, Andy. Uh, There's... um, I think academic roles generally kind of split between, you know, teaching and research and enterprise work. But um, I think I'd like to think I'm, I'm one of the people trying to strike, you know, do all these things, you know, so sometimes kind of in a bit of a jack of all trades uh, style way. But um, but put it this way, there's there's very few boring days. <laughs> sure are. And uh, of course, digital is such a big focus of work at Salford University. I feel like across all the schools, people are really focused and interested in digital research, aren't they? They really are. And, you know, I think Salford has always been, you know, the kind of forefront of, um, you know, uh, you know, practical things and innovations mm-hmm. and so forth. You know, like Salford, um, you know, started, you know, the the Britain's first park, for example. You know, it's um, we've always had that sort of innovative, practicable thing in our DNA, I think. And, and the idea of, you know, welcoming people from, you know, different classes, different genders, different diversities from all over the world, you know, so um. So Salford's obviously a very working class type of place, isn't it? And, and um, you know, Karl Marx and Engels uh, wrote the Communist Manifesto from the uh, Crescent pub across from the university, you know. So it's got that in its sort of roots and its DNA and the sort of, you know, industrial revolution. But now, you know, I look from my office window to the industrial revolution and then just to my left hand side, Media City, you know, the digital revolution. So, again, now that's I feel that Salford's really at the forefront of um, of these things. And we've really developed to establish the brilliant reputation i think in the uk and beyond around our sort of knowledge around digital innovations and digital marketing and uh, creative technology and media for sure and for each of these episodes we do like to go back to the roots and understand a bit about the person that leads them to their research program so tell us a little bit about your journey into research and, and what led you to salford and, and i guess really where you are at the moment in terms of focus that's a really good question so my background, I, I did um, a sort of electronic imaging and media communications degree over at Bradford in 97. So that was just when the Internet was starting to become a thing, you know. Um, so when it was started off kind of, you know, making sort of analog TV programs and chopping bits of tapes up. And um, I think in the, after the first year, the, the course tutors commissioned a friend of mine to write a paper on what the Internet could do for this course. And of course, a year or two later, it was the course, you know. <laughs> so I, I sort of fortuitously um as a graduate in 1997, 
was one of the first kind of web developers, you know, coming out of that. It wasn't a thing when I started the course, but by the end of the course, our final projects were web development and multimedia creation, you know. Um, so that kind of I went into the course thinking I'm going to come out making TV programs and I came out <laughs> making websites. So the, the great strength of it was um, this is a new and emerging market. But the downside was the market wasn't quite ready for web developers. So I, I went through a ton of applications. I got offered a job down in Oxford doing multimedia. And then I saw I think it was my dad showed me an advert in The Guardian for PhD funded PhD students. Um, so I thought, well, that was interesting, you know, but um, I didn't know too much about doing a PhD at the time. So anyway, I got an interview. So I went along and um, and I'd, I kind of made this website for, a, a, you know, I thought I'll just kind of show them what I can do. And I made a little website based on my sort of PhD proposal, if you will. And there was a guy in the, in the office as well who was from another bit of the, the organization, um, Salford University. It was a funded project called Gemesis. Um, but the, the, um, the bit he was from was called the virtual chamber and he was in the interview and he rang up about a week later and they said, um, well, the bad news is you didn't get on the PhD program, <laughs> but what would you say if we offered you a full-time web developer and multimedia developer job for the university? And I said, well, I'll bite your hand off, you know, and <laughs> the, rest, the rest is history. So my job was partly trying to get Manchester online um, and also working with some of those PhD students to sort of digitize some of the stuff. So for example, um, there was a woman who created a really good kind of offline health course and my job was to try and digitize it. So that's kind of always been a facet of my uh, career is trying to uh, look at sort of the digital maturity of things, particularly learning and sort of e-learning. And that's been, a, a you know, something I've always kind of had, you know, with de developing websites, looking at digital marketing, developing uh, PHP systems for, you know, pre-WordPress, you know, content management and um uh, e-learning systems, back-end systems and things like that. So did that for a few years, worked for a spin-out company, doing e-learning, creating business simulations for, for some years. And then I came back to university about 14, 15 years ago on a second stint, ran a, a commercial unit doing sort of digital development, digital marketing for 10 years. And then I did a master's in creative technology and that brought me in all kinds of, it was that point really where I really started to think about research because i had to do a master's dissertation i was starting to do building systems and then doing some of the underpinning research like surveys and interviews and things like that in order to uh present at a conference and, and write a dissertation and then people started saying oh you've built a system here for, for students to blog and set up profiles could you come and do a guest talk to my students and it was at that point where i had a master's then people started asking stuff um and then it was that point my, co my old colleague, Alexi Hines, said, We've, I've got this CPD course called Search and Social Media Marketing. I can't do it anymore. Do you want to do it? I went, silly me, just went, yeah, of course I can do that. So then I had to get all the books out and start actually figuring out how to do it properly. Uh, and that started me off on the journey of teaching, did the PG cap, and then uh, the rest is history. But it was the master's in sports directorship, I think, um, that and then starting to do some teaching on digital journalism um, at Media City when it opened that made me think, actually, you know, research is really cool and interesting, you know, and actually it's not just what you might think, you know, um, sort of, you know, dealing with quantitative numbers and, um, you know, doing sort of hard science. There's like a, there is a social science aspect to it now, which I've done, you know, through, from A-level to, to degree, you know, in order to get a degree, but I've never ever thought about a career as a researcher, you know. So it was the master's really that set me on that pathway, I think. So you're really the embodiment of, I guess, Tim, Sir Tim Berners-Lee's motif for the internet, which is, this is for everyone. And it's been an incredibly enabling technology for you, I think. 
it really has. Um, it's it's just it's strange though, isn't it, that you can go into a university course for over four years with a foundation year and and kind of come out of the other end with a brand new revolutionary world leading technology to the point where we haven't even got modules to deal with this anymore. But because we had such a great sort of community of people working with us, you know, staff and students, um, we were in the lab every day and like just sort of self teaching yeah. ourselves. So there was a guy um, on the course and he. Somehow he'd, he'd nabbed some HTML from somewhere off the internet and built a, a little website for uh, a friend of his in America. So I went, oh, can I have a look at that? And I went, oh, right, okay, I could do that. And then if another friend said, oh, the university has got uh, can give its own web space. And I took my old Amiga 500, do you remember them? I took those and plugged that into the <laughs> halls of residence. I think Bradford won the few that had, had you know, copper uh connections into the into the halls of residence. So we were like, we were chatting to Americans, and I went, this is this is crazy you know so eventually i put a little homepage up and i was getting all these americans writing to me and going oh i love your homepage." you know i'm like well how did you even find it you know <laughs> so it's just the weird you know we, we weren't really well we we weren't really taught this stuff we sort of self-taught to an extent but then used it for our final projects you know and mm -hmm. uh, so like right, we're making a cd-rom let's also make a website and people are like what's a website you know so it was like the first year of that cohort that there were ever you know website projects delivered on that course i suppose because we, we we realized quickly that this was this was going to be the future you know yeah and you've got some great heritage in that background the bradford being of course the home of what was previously the national media museum now the national science and media museum yes. a fantastic venue with all sorts of right. wonderful things in it well the actually degree was part university part bradford college and part uh, ah. national media museum as well so um we were down in the old tvm studios making tv programs and in pitcherville you know watching films and writing um you know critiques of, of films and talking about um how marxism uh you know factored into uh you know film development and things like that so it was a really interesting degree you know and it was a bsc as well which is a real really weird for me because i've done kind of um arts-based air levels i did like um sociology philosophy of religion and english lit so it was, i had to do a foundation here in order to but when i went for the interview uh, they said um I said to him, like, how much maths and physics in this course? Because honestly, I would struggle with it, you know. And oh, no, no. And it's all sort of applied and all that. So, like, I got on the foundation year because obviously I didn't have those, you know, technical uh, science-based air levels. And um, the first year in the foundation year, it was like every day, double maths and physics. Some of it was like post-air level. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Wow. There was a point where I almost quit. But I realized, and I always switched to sociology, but I realized everybody else on the foundation year was on a similar boat. So I got some help from someone in Halls who was doing a maths degree, scraped through the maths, exact post-A-level maths, and then um, lo and behold, it, it did become much more applied after that. And we were in the TV studios and building the websites and, you know, learning programming languages and all that. So the rest is history. So I'm really glad I didn't quit. And it really tells the story of how multidisciplinary research often is. I mean, to go from where you started to where you are now. And I guess working within a business school is a very different environment. So tell us a bit about how your research activity interfaces with the sort of business agenda within the school. That's a really good one. Yeah. You, you, I mean, first of all, you, you're right. Um, you know, to go from arts-based A-levels to a BSc to an MA in creative technology and then a PhD in social media marketing within football it's it's all a, 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 a there, there is some kind of thread there you know but it's it's very sort of it's that the classic thing isn't it um theory versus practice and also kind of you know arts versus um you know the, the sort of business end mixed with a bit of um computer science so the bit of the business school that i'm involved with is is around sort of um 
you know, information systems and um, digital transformation. But of course, that crosses over with digital marketing as well. So I, I, um, I've moved around the university. I've had many different roles from professional services to running commercial units and, but you know, PHP programmer to digital marketer. And then um, that a commercial unit moved into media music performance for a bit and then arts and media for a bit. And then eventually the business school. And I think mainly it was that connection with the um, me delivering the search and social media marketing program and kind of needed to find a fit for uh, that commercial unit and the sort of skills that I had. Um, but it's the, the guys who were working with were, were very much on the sort of digital marketing end and information systems end. So I, I'm probably um, out, of, out of all my colleagues in the business school, I'm perhaps the most kind of creative media type of person, although we do have people like that. I think there's a real kind of Venn diagram of, you know, the, the, the sort of team I work in, maybe more than any other, the ones that really could cut across, you know, arts and media and creative technology and computer science, if that makes sense, you know. So we, we don't really teach the programming languages uh, anymore, but we do have digital business students and digital entrepreneurship students. And of course, there's an overlap there with, um, you know, arts and media and, and computing as well. For sure. And certainly, you know, we have fantastic program in data science. There are so many connections, especially when you're dealing with subject matter like social media, which is, of course, you know, what area of, of society isn't social media present in today? It's, well, absolutely. I've always been fascinated with these online communities. You know, I, I before, you know, pre-social media, I set up um, a PHP forum for all my friends, you know, and that became like the thing, you know, like now everybody's on Facebook. Everyone's on my my forum, you know. So I've always been fascinated with the way, you know, from day one that that you could, you know, set up chat rooms like um, we were using um, things like Internet Relay Chat in 1995, you know, and I was like, that's that's incredible, you know. So it's as it's kind of grown and evolved, I've just become fascinated in it. And I think through the Masters in Creative Technology, I, I did some, you know, research around um, social media and it sort of took off from there. And say so the search and social media marketing module led me a bit more down the digital marketing route. And hence my my PhD was very much like a, a crossover between sort of creative media, social media marketing, um, information systems, you know, as a bit of a hybrid, I think. Um so, but yeah, I mean, like you said, it's this stuff's evolved massively, and um, I'm a you know much more of a qualitative type of researcher, as, as you know, Andy. So um, I like kind of talking to people about these things and asking how and why this works, and understanding the sort of complexity of human meaning, you know. Um, so that led me towards the um, you know ethnographical ways of doing things, you know. Um, so at the beginning of my PhD, you know, you you're just, right. What am I going to do for a topic? And I wrote a proposal around sort of business simulations because I thought it was like a a hot topic at the time and then um we this partnership started with uh, the university and salford football club in the class of 92 working with the center for sports business and i was sort of sat on two out of three of our centers at the time the center for digital business and the center for sport business i'm like well what a, what a great opportunity this is you know um so people were saying oh choose something you're interested in or choose something you can make money out of or choose something you want to be known for so i've always had an interest in sport and i've always had an interest in social media and online communities um, so it was a bit of a no-brainer in the end, you know. I just scrapped the proposal and uh, wrote a new one, and and the rest is history, you know. Yeah, for sure. And it feels like sports often a place where you see. I mean, it's so wedded to 
international media technology industries. And so it's a place where you see a lot of innovation, a lot of firsts being tried out at major sporting events. And so I guess since you sort of raised it, what what are the sorts of your qualitative research predominantly and very interested in the sort of live reality of these social networks? What are the sorts of questions that you're asking in your work? So I'm I'm tending with qualitative research, I'm tending to ask how and why type questions. But Mm. you know, my, my PhD was a was a kind of a multi-method or blended method around it was netnography so it had to contain you know um participant observation or online participant observation or what we're calling now immersion uh, these days in netnography uh but also combined with um interviews and uh another technique called social network analysis which is kind of about using big data to um map out networks and with with social network analysis and the tools we we use tools like um node excel you can answer questions like who are the the influencers? Who are the influential people with these networks? What are the network shapes? Who's talking to who? What is the flow of information? And and just sort of like from a qualitative, it's quite known as a quantitative method. But mm. I looked I looked at the visualizations and net the the visualizations of tens of thousands of of tweets or hundreds of thousands and said, what is going on in this network? Who who are the key players here? And then I'd approach them and say, you know, could I, first of all, I'd look at, you know, what are they tweeting about? And then if it looked like something significant or useful to my research question, I'd go back and interview them. So it's a real blend, you know, and um, and each method's got its own kind of strengths about the questions that it asks. But certainly it was the how and why, you know, how how does that work? You know, what, you know, what does it, what does it, what, is it, why are you following Salford FC? You know, or what are you, how do you go about practicing your fandom online, you know, through social media? And what does that mean? You know, and it was fascinating just interviewing fans from around the world. You find them kind of on um, following Salford FC on Twitter and look at him. I think, well, why is this guy here following Salford FC? He's from Bangalore or something, you know. So you reach out to him and go, listen, I really like what you said here about Salford. Why are you doing that? And they're like, because I love Manchester United. I love the class of 92. I love Paul Scholes. I love his goals, you know. And um they're like third generation, fourth generation Manchester United fans, and they're following Salford in a sort of light touch way through, um, you know, because of that connection, because of the social capital, which obviously is a, a prominent part of my research, as well as a sort of theory contribution as well. So it sounds like, I mean, they're fascinating questions because they tell tell us about society. They really explain what is it people care about, what they value. And I suppose in some sense, they also tell us what people do in terms of consumption as well, because, of course, a lot of these big brands, big companies are essentially trying to bring also value into the organisation in order to make money out of it. So does that element of understanding the sort of consumer culture around sport interface with what you're doing in terms of social media? It really does, and I think you've you've very articulately put that. Um, I think there's, you know, we're always looking. I think um, for, you know, with with research and and particularly PhD research, perhaps looking at um, practical and and theory implications, you know, of, of the study. So the practical ones, obviously, in in a business school, business research are quite often. <laughs> how can we make more money out of this ultimately? You know, or how can we, you know, raise brand awareness? Or how can we? So the the, the you know there are implications in a lot of my research for social media marketing managers, for example, about how these networks work and what makes them tick and how the algorithms work and things. So I'd like, you know, to be able to think that out of my PhD and other research that there are, you know, the abstract we could send to the, uh, you know, a social media marketing manager and say, listen, we found out something useful here that you might not have found by studying fans and working with fans. I'm working with experts as well, because quite often, you know, in people in practice don't have time to go away and 
uh, go and interview 10 people in depth, you know, so we, we kind of do it for them. So there's the practical implication, but clearly, you know, a, a PhD and, and for a lot of the good quality journals, we also need to try and make a, a theory contribution as well, which is something that's a much harder for practitioners to get their head around, you know. Um, so we try and, you know, bridge that gap and try and make the theory useful as well uh, to a certain extent. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a fine balance sometimes, you know, getting that practical and theoretical contribution as well. And I wonder, since you've sort of mentioned the background to Salford, Marx and Engels, and, and also mentioned your leadership in the Disruptive Technologies Research Cluster, which yep. I know is open to anyone across the university to join. And yep. I wonder how you see those things as fitting together, both the kind of proliferation and often monopolization of information through social media in juxtaposition with the disruptive technologies. I mean, how do you sort of square that circle in your work? Well, that's a really good, that's a really interesting question. I and mean, I think, first of all, it's the, the cluster is, it's open to people beyond the university. In fact, you don't even need to be an academic. You know, we've got some fantastic academics from Durham and Manchester and um, Stirling and other places, you know, and it's, um, so it's a very sort of open, open place. And, and at times we, 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 we the, the fortnightly meetings we've got, we end up with 25 people in there. And like, why well, we've got people here from professional services and universities all over the place, you know, so it's very sort of open place for people to kind of come in and discuss disruptive technologies from um, the focus really is around, um, uh, you know, the, the P's, you know, presence pounds and publications, you know, which is the sort of primary sort of outputs of the way we're judged as um, as a university and as academics. So it might be slightly lost on, on practitioners to an extent. But having said that, I think it, we have invited practitioners along and they've, um, well, they have stuck around uh, for the for the duration, some of them anyway. Um, but so it's yeah, it's that it's that balance. So each each week we we try and you know have a bit of an agenda about what are, what are we going to talk about this week? Are we going to talk about writing a paper or going for a funding bid? Or but the great value I think is the people, the interesting people that come along, the member update when they say what have you been up to? Because it's rare that we you know we we run around like ships in the night quite often and um, don't even know what our colleagues are up to. You know we haven't got a a CRM system and even if we did we probably wouldn't understand anyway what people are doing you know so it's just that that kind of minute minute or two each where people say this is what I'm doing right now that helps us join the dots up you know in a sort of um, a qualitative type of way and uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that's a big part of why also we sort of launched the podcast to get people a bit more aware of each other and what they're working yeah. on. And and I'm yeah. really, it's really fantastic to hear your background and all the things that led you to working on the research you're doing now, because it also explains a little bit the recently launched Us Sorted application, which I know comes out of the FanFit app that you've worked on. So you have these sort of values of, of practice built into your research. Tell us a little bit about the Us Sorted application and its background and how that fits into your research. That's the, yes, that's uh, well reminded, Andy. Um, so the FanFit project kind of started about five years ago, and the university's great in the fact that it, every year they've got there's some type of competitive fund for research, um, generally powered by the Higher Education Innovation Fund. So put into that fund a few times successfully for the idea about creating. Um, the original idea came from working with Salford FC and thinking about how sports clubs could create a kind of official smartphone app which sometimes is kind of beyond the reach time wise and finance wise for sports clubs you know particularly the you know ones outside the premier league mm. um so there was a practical problem there to be solved around sort of bridging that gap in terms of digital transformation but equally kind of societal problems around like um you know heart disease and diabetes it's a massive problem you know particularly in the northwest and um 
and in Scotland where I've been working as well. Um, the, the rates of, of you know uh, premature death through heart disease is huge. And a lot of it is is not completely, but a lot of it can be attributed or um, uh, circumvented a little bit through uh, becoming more active. So what we call kind of sedentary lifestyle. So there's a lot of sports fans really passionate about the sports clubs, but not maintaining, a, you know, any kind of basic level of, uh, of fitness. And it actually, in a lot of people's minds, they, they're aware that they need to do more. But the motivation sometimes, you know, for a research shows that people don't quite know how to get going with it and they don't quite have the motivation or the tools or the competition and so forth. So the FanFit project was really about trying to bridge that gap. And um, a, a few years ago, we, we worked with um, students and, um, and and various other people. We, we produced an Android version of um, uh, a FanFit app called uh, Red Devils FanFits for Salford Red Devils, the rugby league um, club, who fantastic um, club we've worked with for a number of years and partnered with. Um, absolutely great kind of, you know, working and open to kind of different new things and interesting things so we pushed this android app out and it basically tracked um walking and running automatically through uh through the through a uh, you know a basic android or iphone device so we knew that you know 98 percent of fans had one of these devices as much smaller percentage had wristbands but we're trying mm. to almost like get get into those groups of kind of hard to reach fans who wouldn't necessarily own a fitbit you know so when we did we when we did some research we realized there was a lot of people out there that we perhaps just needed a bit of a nudge so that it, it acted like the official club app it pulled in you know all the stuff you'd expect from a club app like the you know news fixtures social media updates all that sort of stuff so it did all that but with the addition of these kind of uh, fitness leagues you know walking running etc private leagues and sort of tracking uh steps and incentivizing it so we ran that and we ran a few competitions and by sheer fortune uh the couple of guys that won the season six in the shirts were exactly the type of people that were trying to reach in the first place so really good from a, a research and an impact perspective you know um doing that sort of stuff um so on the back of that we uh saw a grant with uh nesta and the scottish government um around called the healthier lives data fund and we're like we could do that so we were like we, we filled the application form in i've got to say it was the night before it closed because i only just spotted it then um and we put in working with major Scottish football club because we had an idea we wanted to work with, but we hadn't actually got official sign-off for it. So um, anyway, a couple of weeks later, to our surprise, he said, oh, you're invited up to Edinburgh. You've been shortlisted from 120 applications. You're down to the last 14. Uh, so, all right, OK, we'll, we'll get the train up to Edinburgh. And um, we did that and it all went well. And they wrote back to us and they said, listen, we're going to give you the grant funding. Can you just tell us who that major Scottish football club is? So then we were like, right, OK, on the phone, jump on the train up to Scotland a few times and... Um, and then we managed to work with the Rangers Charity Foundation with Rangers Football Club, which is a, you know, a huge brand and, a, a, you know, a really exciting project for us. Um, so, we, you know, again, we, we suit that up and we did a lot of focus groups and uh, ethnography again and surveys to understand, you know, what what fans wanted out of this and what the motivations were and so forth. And we found a lot out. But um, in terms of what fans wanted out of it, they really they were quite happy with the functionality. It was mainly they wanted a chat function behind the private leagues because mm. they didn't want to drop out to WhatsApp to have that sort of interaction, you know, when they're having a banter and winding people up for, a, you know, not not doing enough steps or whatever yeah. or trying to give a bit of encouragement um, and a bit more interaction with the players. So when we launched the app, we got uh, two famous Rangers players to come along and order a big picture of the app and then, you know, 8,000 fans downloaded it overnight. So um, it shows the kind of, again, power of social media influence and so forth, which is another interesting part of uh, my research. It's um, 
servicing people's passion for tracking their data, but putting it into a community place where they can be connected. Because I think that some of these apps, they feel quite anonymous and you can often feel quite isolated, really. Even if you're connected to lots of people, you may not feel that you're actually part of a community. And that sounds like it's servicing that desire to be part of something. That's that's absolutely it, Andy. And say mentioned my my PhD. I, I read a, ro- a lot around the uh, social capital. So there's there's a lot of social capital tied up in brands, you know, and particularly mm-hmm. sports brands. You know, there's a strong bond between fans. Um, so it's just sort of utilizing that that social capital that exists within those communities. And then, as you say, Andy, kind of localizing it because the minute you put the you know the club badge on it and the club news and the uh, you know start to produce content from people that you know and um, players that you know or in, you know, influence that you know, then suddenly it becomes much more motivating than as he sounded like a more faceless, you know, just downloading a random. So, like, you know, if I if you're just gonna write, what do I do? I buy a Fitbit, you do that, and then you're in a, le- a league of one on your own, and then eventually you're just stick in a drawer and forget about it. Whereas it's the people that keep kind of drawing you back to these things, you know, you're working with immediate colleagues, you're working with um, you know, fans. So there was a real connection with the range of stuff around a, an existing physical. Uh, activity program called football fans in training which has been hugely successful at getting you know hard to reach groups uh in training with the club but after 12 weeks sometimes you kind of lose touch with each other or the motivation starts to wane a little bit so we're talking to them at the minute and saying we could keep that conversation going and we can keep that motivation going and you know just just create a little bit more of a of a competition around it but what we found is that people are motivated in really different ways you know some people are super motivated to be the top of the monthly league every month and you know be the best at everything some people just want to come to the top of their own little private league with people that they, they could conceivably catch up with and some people aren't motivated by that whatsoever you know or prizes or whatever they're just like their own personal target so if they can do seven thousand steps a day then they're more than happy and they don't care you know what what other people are doing around them but but yet still that interaction with people is important to them and we started to incentivize as well now through the apps um so if you maintain 7,000 steps a day, you get into, into a prize draw, for example. So it's just that that sort of moving away from, right, can you do a million steps to can you just sort of maintain a reasonable level of steps? Uh, and that kind of led us on to the, you know, the latest iteration, as you say, is um, Sorted, which is the first version we produced outside of sports. So it is for, you know, university staff uh, and possibly students as well. Uh, and a bit more angled around the well-being side. So rather than just simply, you know, right, we're trying to get fitter and be more active. But thinking a bit more holistically about, um, you know, uh, mental and physical well-being, if that makes sense. And that we do that sort of it's a bit harder, obviously, kind of, you know, step tracking is one thing. But um, we, we're working with, um, you know, the sports centre, our sports centre, for example, producing content. So it's familiar to people. You know, it's in the the, the regional dialect. You know, people know people from the videos. Um, we partner with Mind in Salford that people know and are passionate about local charities and mental health. So that every thousand steps staff do. We donate to mind, for example, so people can. Okay, all right, okay. So I'm not going to do a million steps, but actually, I could I could do something good for a local charity rather than just you know donating a tenner or something, you know. Um, so and again, you know, working with yourself, Andy, it's been great. You know, producing content that means something. It's from people that we know, and uh, it's got resonance and, and places that we know, and um, and people are much more motivated by that, as you say, than 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 somebody else that they don't know. You know, I mean, it, even people like Joe Wicks, I suppose, it's, it, it builds up a you know, a connection with his audience, doesn't he? But ultimately a familiarity and a, and a social capital and a, and a, a, a you know, following, I suppose. Very much so. And it is really challenging within a big institution to f- 
get that sense of community when everyone's very busy. And I think this this app, which I know is available on Android and Apple, so people can download it now, they can install it, they can watch some of the videos that have been shared by some various people, but also they can access latest university news. And it's great to see how many people are using it already. Um, it's really nice to see and get a sense of, I guess, partly what people do as well and how active they can be. But it's it's a great way to bring people together and and hopefully we'll see it as a, a really positive part of our community as well. I hope so, Andy. I think you said earlier as well, there's never been a better time for, you know, because we're all kind of isolated and we've everyone's been through a tough time of it and some more than others. You know, that that sense of community and uh, and rebuilding, I think, is critical, isn't it? And if we can use the, these tools in a positive way to, you know, to to motivate people or to make them feel a little bit better about themselves, then um, they're all good, you know. But I think that probably we had a really interesting discussion in the cluster this week about motivations of, of people downloading and using it mm. or whether there'd be some things that might put people off as well. So we tried to sort of frame it that this isn't a, an app for fitness fanatics, really. You know, it's about us in our community and it's really most people should be able to get something out of it. And of course, you're mm. going to get resistance to people that really hate the idea about tracking steps, for example, or don't really buy into the whole idea. And that's going to happen, but ultimately, but but the the vibe behind it really is about community and our people and trying to <coughs> do some good for local charities and, and just make people feel a little better because it's been a tough old time, hasn't it? It sure has. And it's been a, a wonderful time here with you, Alex, to learn certainly about your origins and just how how interesting a journey you've had to both Salford and the research that you're doing. And it's clear that those values that underpinned your foundation still are very much present in everything that you do. So thanks so much for joining us today. And yeah, we look forward to seeing how us sorted develops over the next year. Thanks very much, Andy. And, and to say, you know, people are free, free to download it, but we're also looking for you know, we think that the app could potentially be rebranded into any organisation that's got a, you know, duty of care to its staff, customers, uh, stakeholders, whatever that is. You know, um, I think it's just about building a community around uh, physical and mental well-being, isn't it, ultimately, which um, is critical for any organisation, I would say. Definitely, for sure. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much again, Alex, and good to see you here. Brilliant. Thanks, Andy. Take care. Bye bye. Well, that was Dr. Alex Benton, and this was Repod, the University of Salford's research podcast. Join us next time for another conversation with one of our researchers. Take care.